Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast to communicate stories of the people and practices from far-flung ranches and dairies throughout the state in an effort to better connect them to the customers that they serve. The Likely Land and Livestock Company was actually one of my first ranch visits. In fact, we have an edited and yet unreleased episode from our first visit. Coincidentally, when we were about to publish the first episode, we learned that we had the opportunity to return to Likely, and it was my feeling that we barely scratched the surface of the storytelling there. Likely is located in Modoc County, which is the northeasternmost county in California, about 150 miles north of Reno. Coming from the south on Route 395, you descend from Mount Tule into a valley flanked by mountains, soon arriving in Likely. The town was originally named South Fork for the South Fork of the Pitt River, but the U.S. Post Office insisted on a name that was both short and unique. When residents came together to decide on a new name. No consensus could be reached. One resident lamented that they would likely never come up with a name, which led to someone nominating the name likely, which was then voted in. Initially, what's striking about the ranch is its remoteness. Ranches by design are often remote, but this ranch has its own universe, where the amenities surviving in Likely, like the Likely General Store, primarily serve the ranch and its people. In fact, in the past, at various times, the General Store, Cafe, and Saloon were all at one point owned and operated by the Flournoy Brothers. Both the Cafe and Saloon have shuttered in the last few years, leaving only the General Store, which has a gas pump offering diesel and unleaded, along with a wide array of necessities and various sundries. The ranch was homesteaded in 1871 by Billy, John, and Dave Flournoy's great-grandfather, John D. Flournoy, and now comprises about 12,000 acres. The brothers range in age from 60 to 80 years old and continue to work daily on the ranch. John's sons, Dan and Miles, also work the ranch, along with a variable cast of cowboys and other tradesmen. In this episode, we speak with Miles about the ranch's multi-generational history. We also talk about Treasure Island, which is a boneyard of old ranch vehicles, some of which fell victim to Miles and Dan's creative driving. In fact, their uncle Dave, who runs the ranch's auto shop, refers to Treasure Island as his parts department. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. I first met and interviewed Miles back in April of 21 during an interview with his father and two uncles, where he also talks about his involvement at the ranch and some obstacles they face in the future. Uh, Miles Flournoy, uh, Daniel's little brother. Yeah, I helped Billy a lot with the cowboying and managing the cattle, and and I tried to kind of be involved with all of the um, motion forward around here. I went to uh, Shasta College, graduated Chico State with a bachelor's in ag business, and moved back to Likely, and uh, been here uh, 15 years next next month in May. What uh, happened to your lip? Oh, <laughs> my uh, my horse uh, slipped on the bank and fell off in the warm slough yesterday afternoon. <laughs> These guys have been obviously seen everything and done it for a very long time. You've obviously seen a lot over like 15 years. Why continue to do this? Do you have like personal feelings about that? Uh, yeah, I could have gone anywhere and done anything, I suppose. And I thought about going to a university or something further away, maybe, but I went to just uh, Shasta College there in Reading, not too far. And, and uh, it didn't take me long to sort of get a little bit homesick. And, and I like it and likely and then uh, move back working with my dad and my uncles and my mom is close. And uh, and yeah, it's I'm familiar and rural and uh, a lot of nice things about it. And then I got married and uh, have three beautiful, healthy kids, two girls and a boy. It just uh, it just keeps getting better. So what, what do you see as moving forward? Are there 
in your mind, any new or unique challenges to this business that your uncles or your father might not have had to deal with? Yes, continuously. We just don't know what's going to happen even tomorrow. Things in the world are changing fast. We feel like we have a really good professional understanding of uh, the way we live and uh, what we're producing and how we're being stewards of the land. Low stress cattle handling is those two things. So if, if you can communicate that to the general public or, or that segment that doesn't understand what we're doing, they, they look at us raising our cattle sort of rough maybe sometimes, but we're low stress. So that's one really good reason to be low stress is, is so humane reasons. But the other reason is for production. We have all these mother cows that have to have to be fleshy enough and to cycle. And if they're in a stressful environment, they're not going to cycle. They're, uh, they're not going to get pregnant and carry a pregnancy and then have a calf and maintain that relationship with their calf and, and take good care of it. If, if there's any stress in, in any part of their life and handling the cattle at our calf brandings, the way we castrate, hot iron brand to identify them on the range vaccine to keep them healthy and then our, our nutrition is good as well but the the day we do that it's it's as low stress as, as possible with their mothers the whole day and and removed from that environment for less than three minutes and then back in their home environment we don't take our cattle to a corral we take a portable corral and set it up in each individual field put them in there and and uh with their mothers we we rope them and pull them out of there and tie them down and uh, do everything we have to do. And then, like I said, less than three minutes away from their mother and then back up and out into their home field. How long have you been doing that practice? 100 years. Now we move to six months later in late October, where we start with the lunch at the ranch's cookhouse. We arrived on a day where most of the cowboys were out of town shipping cows. So we had a modest party of seven. Ranch cook Jessica prepared roasted chicken, mashed potatoes, green peas, house-made biscuits, and pie for dessert. Miles joins the table, and a few minutes later, his father, John, eventually joins as well. I should mention here that in our next episode, we will be turning our attention to the functions of the cookhouse and why it's vital to the ranch's existence. So when you sit down to eat, you start eating, and everybody shows up when they can. You don't, have, you don't wait for everything. We try to wait till yeah. it's noon. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we have our... So we got the cowboys that... They go and do cowboy things, and like I mechanic, and mm. then during the winter I'm feeding and cue mm-hmm. pretty much carpenter, plumber, feeder, whatever we need them to be. Oh, there's Miles. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Hey. Hey, Miles. Howdy. Katie and Ryan, I gotta go wash my hands. Take your time. Lunch is great. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Johnny. Hello. Hello. Did Miles tell you why we eat chicken? So that the chicken people can afford to buy a steak. Oh, oh. my God. That makes more sense. Have you met Oh, that. Rick? So yeah, After lunch, we hopped into a couple of trucks and meandered through the property set out to see Treasure Island. Though this portion of the ranch is relatively flat and vegetated by nothing much more than grass, the scrapyard is artfully hidden in a slight recess in the topography. I'd estimate the yard houses easily over a hundred vehicles of all kinds. Tractors, big trucks, passenger vehicles, old forestry trucks, and even a boat. Many of the vehicles have clearly been picked over, probably benefiting another functional Frankenstein vehicle somewhere else on the property. 
It's here that Miles takes a minute to detail the history of his family and how the likely land and livestock company came to be. He also highlights a few vehicles meaningful to him. 1871, uh, John D. Flournoy homesteaded right there at the headquarters that we're at. So they, they came to the United States, camped in Virginia for about five generations. And then they went to Missouri. They were only in Missouri for about 26 years. And then John D. came from Missouri to uh, California in about 1880, 1871 of 1864, five he came and was in Sacramento. And then, and then his cattle were starving out, they didn't have any feed. And so he drove them out of there. And, and legend has it, he drove them up over the mountain and maybe past Cheshire Lake Album or something. I mean, there wasn't nothing was really developed. And, they ended up so so this area the settlers and stuff when they came in the gold rush and and everything and everyone was headed west from the east coast they just kind of went right by this area when when he came here in 1871 then he settled and then he and then 40 years later he wrote a letter about when he came here and rodney flernoy has that letter and he gave me a copy of it yeah it's really cool it says so we thought that we were just going to stay in the south fork valley for a year or two and for a little while and and feed was so good and the and the stock done so good that we just stayed and uh, when he first moved here he was the only white man here and there were some indians around there was one man-made structure that wasn't just an indian hut or a teepee or something on the pit river no one was around and, and there was a lot of feed it, it was uh, it was uh untapped and it was all one big ranch at one time flournoy yes. brothers and then in uh in 1959, Flournoy brothers, Pierce's dad and Rodney's dad and my grandpa decided to, their families were big enough, they'd separate the ranch. So, so they did. They sat down at a table and they figured out who got, who got this, you got, you, Rob got the smallest ranch with no debt. My granddad got the biggest ranch with most of the debt. Warren, Rodney's dad got Jess Valley and a little bit here. Uh, that was Warren and Beverly's house, that white house up on the hill over there. Uh, and, uh, and they, they balanced it and wow. shook hands and, and had three ranches. Didn't take yeah. one lawyer. And then it was, uh, DF Flournoy and sons, Don, Donald Frank Flournoy was my grandpa's name and his three boys, Billy, Johnny, and Davian. And they were just in high school back then or grade school. And then in 1973, uh, they incorporated likely land and livestock and bought out my granddad, 1973. And so that would have been about... 48 years ago or something like that. Billy's only been working here full time for about 60 years. Yeah. Right. And running the ranch pretty much. My granddad, he and my grandma, he was about to sell it and was, and Billy was working at a feedlot out in Nevada. And then he came back and my grandpa was just kind of tired of it or something. And boys were growing up and kind of doing other stuff, but Billy got a hold of it. And my grandpa was going on vacation, taking my grandma and some friends, and they were going to Mexico for a couple of weeks. And he gave Billy the checkbook. He said, we're going out of town. Here, you take care of everything. And he never took it back from him. He, he, was, taking, he was taking care of it from then on, I think, uh, uh, which is a big responsibility. Yeah, this white Ford no, pickup with the red roof. My dad, that was his pickup when I was a little kid. <laughs> That white one, solid white, was my granddad's. The brown one was mine when I was in high school. I drove it around a little. This is my pickup when I was in high school. I made it out. I, I walked away from it. I don't know how. 
that Toyota was mine too. Uh, and I loaned it to my brother. And that was the last time. That was the last uh, It was over with after that. Yeah, he actually endowed it. Kid that was with him got ejected through the windshield and broke his hand. But but they were they were both fine. All fun to talk about as long as everybody made it out alive, I guess. Damaged vehicles in here, you or, or uh, Dan? Oh, by far, Daniel. Okay. Yeah, huge. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he got me beat by quite a bit. Well, Dan, he's, a, he's got a nine lives like a cat or something. We uh, use vehicles here for the uh, firefighter training for the oh. fire department. Uh, that's what this is. Oh, that's right. that's Jaws of Life. Uh, and we just did one over there uh, on the far side uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, we did the Jaws of Life. We get to break the windows out and, and uh, take the, the roof off and everything. But geez, I, I was like, you guys, we got to get something in the, so the airport lots. A, a couple years ago, I went in there and we put all new page wire around those lots, redid the whole fence. And then I wanted to put a couple of trucks out there, like neat looking trucks, good old ones that the calves can rub on, you know, yeah. that we're not going to use for anything anyways. And so I finally got a few, but it was like pulling teeth between the mechanic we had, my uncle Davey and what was good and what wasn't. There was like everything, there was nothing here that was dilapidated or useless enough that I could take and set over there in one of the feedlots for the cattle to rub on. All of a sudden it was gold and like that, geez, like that single axle uh, international there. Beautiful old truck, but the calves won't hurt it too bad. Um, now this stock truck here, this is about an F600, F700. I don't know which, but, but my whole life, this was the only rig that the buckaroos used on the ranch to haul their horses around and do everything they did, no horse trailers. And when I came back here in 2006, this was still the rig they were using. They still didn't have any horse trailers. All right, a quick side note here about buckarooing. The term comes from poorly pronouncing the word vaquero which is a horse-mounted livestock herder using traditions and methodologies born in Spain and further developed in Mexico. These skills informed what we know today as the American cowboy. In fact, the term buckaroo antedates the term cowboy by many years. What I've learned so far is that practitioners take great pride in being a buckaroo and continue certain methodologies in their work today that may differ from other ranch workers. I think 2006 is when they got that aluminum horse trailer of Billy's. But then that was his rig, and he, was, he had it, and he was using it. And, and I, I still use this rig. And we have one more stock truck over at the shop that uh, still runs, but we got them non-op now and don't hardly use them at all anymore. Set down the ramp, load a horse, take it to a calf. Brandon, we had the last stock trucks in the country, I think, and we, we used them for everything. Till 2006, yeah, and then a little after. I'd say about, I'd say I kind of quit probably 2008 or nine was probably the last time I used a stock truck. And now it'd be a pain because you got to work with your horses a little bit to, to use that ramp. They don't like the ramps right off the bat to, to climb in and out. Fond memories of five or six of us going buckarooing. I got to sit up there in the crow's nest. In the morning, is a little bit tough place to be. <laughs> I'd like to leave you with a clip recorded back in April from Dave, Miles' uncle, just after we concluded our interview. We, we, I, wanna, I wanna add one little thing. Absolutely. Uh, a week ago, Miles and I took a little ride and I was asking him how things were going for him and he said that he couldn't be any happier with his family and with his lifestyle that he chose and where he is in life and that was a uh, satisfying thing for an old uncle to hear. I'm glad he's happy and 
If you'd like to see photographs from our visit, including pictures of our lovely lunch and Dan and Miles' mangled trucks, visit www.calcattlecouncil.org. If there's something you'd like to hear from stories from California cattle country, you can contact me at ryan at calcattleman.org or leave comments on our various social media posts. We'll be back in two weeks with stories from the Likely Land and Livestock Cookhouse. Thanks for listening.